Welcome to Up Close and Empowered with host Sana Johns. Over the next hour, you'll hear from Sana and her guests on how you can become more empowered through life's most challenging situations. Sana's journey through her own transformation has inspired her to awaken you to your divine power. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Close and Empowered this week. My name is Sana Johns, your host, and this is where I hope to inspire you to awaken to your true power. This is a show all about empowerment and purpose. And for those of you that listen to my show you and for those that are new today, the show is about stories. It's about people's stories of courage, bravery, uh, turning their challenges into purpose. And it's a show that inspires others to give them courage and hope during the most difficult times. And that's the lot. Of, that's a lot of the reason why I have this platform is to let my listeners know that even though the journey can be extremely trying, that there is still hope. There's hope for love faith, and being a light in this world for others, which is what we're going to talk about today with my special guests. And I have to tell you, I was you know, I was listening to some of their videos and really learning about them. I read their book, I watched their movie, and I it's just, um, I really got teary-eyed. I really had to like really get myself together after listening to some of the things earlier this morning because it's just so touching what they've gone through and how they've turned things around and they're really helping and making an impact in the world today. And that's exactly why I do this show. So today I'm honored to have an extraordinary conversation with Michael and Gina Spain, who will share their profound story of tragedy that led to hope faith, love, and today, purpose. They are the New York Times bestselling authors. They're co-founders of the New Day Foundation for Families, which we're going to talk a little bit more about today and how they're making an impact. Their story is a powerful testament to love, loss, and the creation of this foundation committed to making a difference, a, pro a profound difference to families that are grappling with emotions and also the financial challenges of having cancer. So their story is very unique and beautiful in many ways. They have a book called The Color of Rain, and it was a New York Times bestseller. It also made it into a Hallmark original movie in 2014, extending a powerful message to our hearts. And when I watched the movie too, it's just, it, it so reminded me of Eugenia. So we'll talk a little about, bit about that in a minute, but just really well done. And also to top it off, in 2023, the Spains took the stage at TEDx Detroit, sharing their compelling story of resilience, faith, and love. And Michael and Gina have been guests on the Today Show, Huckabee, and ABC World News. So the list goes on. They are getting the message out. They are helping others. They are sharing people in their um, difficult times. And it's just a beautiful thing to have people like this in the world sharing what they can share best their love, their listening, their hope, and their inspiration for others. So the message continues to inspire, empower, and empower their audiences, leaving an incredible mark. And I know that it has left an incredible mark on me. So please allow their journey today to ignite faith, hope, and love into your own life. So let's welcome Michael and Gina to the show. Welcome to the show, guys. <laughs> Thank you. Hi, Thank you so much. It's great to be here. Yes, thank you so much. I am really excited for you to share your story so that people can be inspired by what you've gone through and how you've really navigated through the challenges in your life. So I'll let you guys begin. I don't know, Michael, Gina, you guys pick. <laughs> Michael, this is your this you do this so succinctly, babe. You you take it. Yes. Well, Gina and I have have a have challenged each other over the years of how, who can tell the story the shortest. 
Um, so I, I won't do that since we have a little bit extra time. Um, Gina and I were uh, did not know each other for most of our uh, first part of our lives, um, but our spouses did. I was married to Kathy and she was married to Matt. And Matt and Kathy grew up together in Michigan, small town in Michigan called Rochester. They were classmates all through high school and they even uh, attended Michigan State together too. They, they were friends and um, then went off and lived their lives and each started their own families. In, uh, at some point, uh, Matt became ill. He was diagnosed with cancer and had a three-year battle with, with that disease. Um, Kathy and I uh, eventually found our way back, moved back to Rochester. So we were in the same town, uh, but we did not know the Kell family. We didn't know Matt and Gina. She, my wife knew of him, still obviously an old classmate and friend. Um, but uh, we had, I had never met their family. Matt lost his battle with cancer on Christmas day, uh, Christmas night uh, in 2005. And my wife, Kathy, attended his funeral. And then just a couple of weeks later, having not been sick a day in her life, practically, she got a headache that uh, wouldn't go away. And eventually we sought help in an, in an uh, emergency room. Um, she was quickly diagnosed with brain cancer and 17 days later she died. And through a, a, a series of uh, events, uh, Gina and I found each other uh, in the same room together and uh, we were kind of placed there by the, the grace of God and by Matt and Kathy and some stories that I'll maybe let Gina tell. But uh, eventually we became friends, our children. I had three and Gina had two. Our kids all started to hang out together and become very close friends. And as I kind of put it, sort of, uh, you know, Gina and I were, were, were just each other's support system. We were, we lived in the same town. We attended the same church. Our kids were now kind of growing together. And uh, as the fog of grief kind of lifted, you know, I looked over and I realized that sitting next to me was a woman, which uh, I hadn't really realized originally, <laughs> you, you know, when you're in that space. Uh, and so uh, we, we became uh, closer friends. And then ultimately, almost two years later, we married, created a little Brady Bunch. And, uh, and We've we've been a blended family ever since. Uh, there's much more uh, I mean, details to it. I'm going to let Gina jump in. Yeah, I mean, I think it's important to mention this because um, this is today is February 29th, so it's a leap day. Um, but yesterday would mark the 18th anniversary of Kathy's passing, so of Michael's wife's passing, and so it's been 18 years for Michael and I, each of us, since we've lost our spouses, and you know. Um, it's they were such a huge part of our life and they're still very much present tense with us today. And the story that Michael just shared, which, you know, is the most abbreviated form of that story. Um, there's so much depth in this story. And like he just mentioned about how he and I met and, you know, all of that. I mean, you know, the, the sad truth of it is we we met in a funeral home. I mean, it's the literally the worst how I met your mother story on the planet. We don't like getting asked that question. Like when we go sit at a table at a, at a wedding or something with new people 
They're like, how'd you two meet? Well, we're going to not talk about that. <laughs> you Gina, know, but- I wasn't going to let him, just so you know, I wasn't going to let him get away with that abbreviated story because I know there's <laughs> there's a lot more to it that is I know, it was so a really divine quick telling. And, I was like, and oh. so incredible that I would love for you to share that. Yeah. Well, in, in the how we met part of the story, I mean, there's so much that obviously that preceded the how we met part of the story. Um, uh, you know, my relationship with Matt and the years of our marriage, though, you know, we were married for 13 years. We met in college and we, you know, started our family and big Michigan State, you know, fans and all of that. And um, and life was good. You know, it was just like young family life. It was all that chaos and kids and sports and all that good stuff. And then along comes a cancer diagnosis and that, you know, disrupts and changes everything. And um during the time that we were going through cancer, I'm going to kind of backtrack a little bit, Michael, because I want to share this part of the story too, and I'll get to the how we met piece. But when we were when we were um, going through the cancer journey, I want to mention this because it'll it'll lead into some of our conversation later. But my husband's employer at the time uh, was a local television station in Detroit, and his boss's boss, I think it would be safe to say, made sure we did not lose a day of income, which is a really important part of the story because Mm -hmm. it will lead us into sort of how our nonprofit got started and why. Um, There is nothing more terrifying when you're going through cancer than, first of all, knowing that you're fighting for your life or for the life of your loved one. So you're a caregiver, um, you're a support person, or you're the patient, right? And it's a scary time. But then to think that you might also lose your source of income and the thing that sustains your family is a really extraordinary burden that is on top of what's already a challenging situation. So um, we had this this blessing of of an employer who really cared and really made sure that we were able to be sustained throughout our cancer experience. And so I like to add that to the story. So you know, after losing Matt, and I know after Michael lost Kathy, you know, we're sitting in a funeral home and we're two people who were connected through a community. We So I attended the funeral primarily because almost all of the people that were at his wife's funeral were also at my husband's funeral just a month earlier. You know, it was a strange or a couple months earlier, it was just a strange occurrence. And so I went there to be a support and did not know what was going to happen when I walked in the door. And and Michael, maybe you should pick up the story with, you know, with what happened next, because I, all I remember was I walked in the door not knowing even what this man looked like. And <laughs> he came up to me and said, are you Gina? Are you Gina Kell? And I said, yes. Like, who are you? And at first it didn't register. And then I realized, oh, this is, this is Kathy's husband. And I said, yes, of course. You know, and he said, I, I have to ask you, how are your kids? Is all he really cared about was, mm-hmm. was my children. And I think he wanted to know how his kids were going to be. You know, it was sure. that. So, so that yeah, was, she, yeah, go ahead. Gina and her boys were maybe a month ahead of us in the process, so to speak. And I had heard about them, obviously, through Kathy. And, um, and so uh, she was kind enough to sit with me. We, we sat sort of off to the side. But um, as you can imagine, uh, when a young, my wife was only 36 when she passed away. Mm. So there were hundreds of people. Um, and it felt like for a moment that 
everyone was staring at us because here are these two grieving widow and widower. And now we're off to the side, just talking. And Gina was so kind and generous with, uh, with her kindness. And she answered all my questions. I, I even said to her, I said, tell me how you're doing. And if you have to lie to me, go ahead and lie to me. And she's like, no, I don't have to lie. <clears throat> she said, we're and and she said something really smart. And I've kind of borrowed it ever since she said, we're about like you would think we are. <laughs> you know, it isn't I'm fine, because you're not fine. It isn't we're great. It isn't we're terrible. We're about exactly like you might think we are. And I thought that was pretty smart. And, um, and we talked for a little while. And then we were quiet for a moment or two. And I kind of looked at all the staring eyes. And I said to her, um, you know, this place is filled with people from my life, but I'm pretty sure you're the only one here tonight who knows me. And um, I, it just, it sort of wow. became this, this theme between the two of us, like we know each other, even though we've only just met. Yeah. So how do what did, what did you, what did you, how did you feel at that moment? Like what was going through your head? Was there just like an instant connection or you couldn't quite, quite grasp what it was? Like what was going on? And we just supporting each other or being able to understand one another? Yeah, I really believe, so you hear about this, but you don't know until you've experienced it. But when you go through something profoundly tragic, um, deep pain, I think the greatest longing that we have when we are in the midst of those things is simply to be known. Somebody who understands, because I think a lot of times people just simply feel as though nobody understands me. I'm so mm -hmm. alone in this experience. And I, I think that's maybe the most important thing is knowing you're not alone and being understood by someone who shares you know, our circumstances detail-wise different, but that fellowship of suffering, so universal, so very profound and connective. And it, there's something in that that allows us and grants us permission to laugh with each other, mm -hmm. to be a little irreverent in some moments, to, to, to just sort of step back from the depth of the pain and, and look at it and think to yourself, wow, what just happened? And and somebody can look at this with me and, and feel the same way and almost, you know, just try to process the whiplash, if you will, that you just experienced. And, and then recognizing that going forward in the grief and in the suffering and in the, in the experience that you're in, that you have somebody alongside you, that when you're feeling just horrible, uh, or you're feeling like you just need to be heard or do you want to talk to somebody who isn't a family member who's trying to tell you how to fix it or who wants to casserole you to death with their food. <laughs> they love you with their food. Yeah. But, you know, we don't need another casserole. So um, that kind of thing, just, just a person who just gets it. It is one of the gifts of hardship and it doesn't have to be the loss of a loved one, a death. It could be any kind of significant hardship in your life, whether it be divorce, estrangement, maybe a career loss, um, a personal bankruptcy, any any sort of significant hardship. Um, one of the gifts that comes from that, if you're if you're open to it, it does require your own availability to that experience, but it allows you to connect to other people in 
deeper, more meaningful ways if you allow it. And so when, when Gina uh, came over finally, it was weeks later and she, she said, I'll bring the, the kids over and we can get the kids together, let them know that they're not alone. There are other kids like them going through the same thing. We said, okay, I had generous neighbors who had filled up uh, a freezer full of food for me. So I said, I've, I've got food to cook. Gina said, I'll bring a salad. And she showed up with nine bags of groceries. <laughs> I did. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> but um, that evening for all of us, all seven of us, we sat around the kitchen table and the kids were, they made inappropriate noises and they spilled things. And they, it was just this wonderful evening of normal. For the first time in a very long time. In fact, even Gina and I kind of argued over who was going to do the dishes. I, I I refused to allow her as a guest in my home. And she looked at me with her Italian five foot two inch. I'm doing this. And so to be treated normally was such a refreshing thing. And and it was, uh, you know, um, I, I will tell you this. So uh, months later, our daughter, Charlotte. Um, was she and I were having a quiet moment together and she uh, out of the blue said, you know, I think I know why you and Mrs. Kell are such good friends. And I said, why is that? And I thought she was going to say, cause we like to watch the same movies or we watch. And she was just quiet for a minute. And she looked at me and she said, because she knows. Mm. And this is from a 10 year old. Yeah. And I wow. thought it is. That's true. She knows. Wow. I love that. Well, we're going to take a short break and I want to I want to talk about this community and support and listening and how healing this can be and how this is part of the process and it's so important. It's so important. I'm I'm so glad that you brought that up. So we're going to be back right after this short break. Follow Voice America at facebook.com forward slash Voice America for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts. Are you ready to awaken your true power? Become more confident and self-assured to take on life's challenges? As an empowerment coach, Sana offers an eight-week transformational program for those who are ready to step into their authenticity, stop people-pleasing, and live a life of more love, vibrancy, and inner peace. Discover your inner power, learn to love yourself, and experience more connection and fulfillment to thrive in all areas of your life. Book a complimentary call at www.saunalife.com to find out how. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. If you're in leadership or a business owner, it's important to show your team that you care by providing healthy ways to help them stay happy, motivated, and to avoid burnout because their well-being directly impacts their productivity and ultimately profitability. Book Sana to speak or do a powerful interactive workshop to help your team shift from stress, chaos, and disconnection to handling the day's challenges with more ease, clarity, and direction. 
Her strengths are navigating through difficult situations and creating a positive environment so everyone can thrive. Find out more at saunalife.com. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. Welcome back to Up Close and Empowered with Sana Johns. Have a question for Sana or her guests? Join us on the show at 888-346-9141. That's 888-346-9141. Now back to the show. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the show. I am talking with Michael and Gina Spain, and we are talking about their profound story and how they turned it into impacting others that are going through difficult times with cancer. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that. I we, we just, before the break, we were talking about how important community is and supporting and listening. And that, you know, I was saying to them during the break that it's just so healing to know that people can relate and understand and not be wanting to make everything better and mix, you know, not mix, uh, have all the answers is what I meant. Uh, but just be able to listen and be a, a, an open heart and ear for you. I mean, it's just so important during the process. So I always encourage people whenever they're going through difficult times on their journey to reach out, to get support from someone that can help to guide you or just be there for you. And obviously having a very strong faith, which I did want to talk about there for a minute. So Michael, did you were, did you have a very strong faith when you met Gina? Because I thought in the book, it said that you kind of lost faith maybe for a little bit. Maybe elaborate on that. Were you a little bit sure. angry about what had happened or take us through that for a little bit? Um, yes to all, but uh, I, I never, so the way I describe it, you know, I grew up Irish Catholic on the West side of Chicago and um, I, I never have lost faith in God. Um, there were times, there were seasons in my life where I didn't really know how to express my faith. I didn't really have what I would, what I might call a mature faith, um, where I could quote, you know, that I was in the word of God and that I knew what, how he wanted to work through my life and so forth. So when I lost Kathy, of course there was anger, there was confusion. Um, I used to say, you know, people would come up and always offer those cliches of life, thoughts and prayers and everything else. And they used to say, uh, have no fear. This is a part of God's plan. And so I would say in those moments, I would say, that's fine, but I just think that God's plan stinks. Mm -hmm. um, so it was never a, a loss of faith. Um, there was more of a loss of confidence, a loss of understanding of what my faith was meant to do in this world, in this life, and so forth. So meeting Gina, I, I kind of put it this way. Kathy brought me to the to the church doors and Gina brought me in or sort of brought me to the word of God and Gina brought me into the word of God because meeting Gina through those circumstances <laughs> and she had already become an extraordinary woman of faith. Um, she was so kind to me with all of my fury and all of my questions, which a lot of times manifest themselves at two o'clock in the morning with phone calls between the two of us. But she was so kind to me and so allowing of me to vent that, um, that uh, the way she demonstrated her faith was, was just beautiful to me. 
Sorry. No, I think I, I remember in one of your interviews, you were saying, Michael, that it wasn't about rebuilding your faith when this happened. It was about revealing your faith. Yes. Which I thought was a very strong statement and had so much impact. I used to, I used to look for, you know, I lived in California a lot of, uh, for uh, many years and I, I was not going to church at the time. And so I would go out to the, the, the rocks of the Pacific and I would search for God out there and search for his word. And I searched for God in a lot of different places as a lot of people do. And I, it wasn't until I went through some of these circumstances that I realized that um, he, <laughs> I, he was right with me the whole time. Mm -hmm. I, I didn't have to search outwardly for him. He had never left my side. Yeah, I love that. Thanks for sharing that. Gina, what were you going to say? Well, I was just going to add to that, that, you know, what Michael describes about my faith, you know, I mean, also, by the way, born and raised Catholic, but not a churchgoer for most of my formative years. And I'd gone off to college and I met Matt there and he invited me to church. And it was through Matt that my relationship with Jesus and becoming a Christian, that's when it really began. Like I always, like Michael said, like I always knew God. I knew he existed. I knew I believed in God, but was I wasn't really knowing him and didn't have a real relationship. So it was in my early years of my marriage that that began, but it wasn't really until my husband was diagnosed with cancer that I started to realize, okay, I had to ask myself the question, do you just believe in God or do you really believe God and the promises of God? And so I started to really try to examine that for myself. And, you know, we were doing Bible study classes. We were doing all these things that, I, you know, were fun. We were getting with friends and we're going to have a, you know, Bible study and a, and a piece of cake and a, you know, social hour was how it was a lot of times, you know, and then you're reading, you know, you're doing your thing, but now it's sort of practical application time. And, you know, this is where it really starts to manifest and, and become a true deep faith and trust in God. And so what Michael, when, when, by the time Michael and I had met, I had reached a point in my really journey of faith, which everyone's on their own and at their own pace and in their own time, you know? Um, and, but for me, there was this clarity of, oh, wait a second. The outcomes are not really what I'm praying to God about. It's, I mean, he knows that I want a specific outcome here. He knows what that my heart is, right? But it's now, it's when that doesn't happen or when things aren't going well, or when the, when, you know, when his plan stinks, as Michael just said, um, what do we do with that? And that's where, mm -hmm. that's where real faith is. That's where it lives. It's yeah. I still trust him when it isn't going your way. Because I hear a lot of people say, our prayers worked. We prayed and, it, and it, we got what we wanted. It was like as if you went to a wishing well and hoped for an outcome and you got it. And well, it's not, that is not the God we pray to. We pray to a God who has a great, greater plan than what we can conceive of, right? So trusting and knowing that, yes, he is with us. The Holy Spirit lives in us. I mean, I'm, get, I'm preaching right now, but <laughs> you know what that's I mean? Okay. But that's okay. That's okay. part of our story. I mean, that's part of really who we are, but God is with us. And that is, you know, compassion when you talk about suffering and you know what does compassion mean it means to suffer with 
You know, God understands us in our suffering more than anyone. And then that he puts people alongside of us to help us be known in that, it all, you know, it all goes together. So yeah, Michael and I met at an interesting time. He's a bit of a cynic in the beginning, right? Michael, I think it's safe to say <laughs> he was, he was West side Chicago cynic. And well, um, you know what I learned? I learned that God can handle my piddly little questions. Um, that, that whatever little questions I might conjure up in, in my clever little mind, God can handle that. And usually his word has accounted for all of that and, and can answer that. Well, I, I would like to uh, take a take a half step to the part about community and the part about people who are wanting to serve, you know, because one of the things we talk about people who are going through hardship, but the people around them, their friends, their relatives, their circle of, of uh, community, that's a that's a very difficult position to be in as well. What do we say? You know, when do we, when do we move in and try to help? You know, when do we give them space? And um, I, I liken it. I was literally on the phone last night with, with a gentleman who lost his wife to cancer. Just a, 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 the, the burial was on Saturday. And so through New Day, we connected and uh, sometimes, as is, is the habit, I will reach out to husbands. Um, there's just a kinship there. And we were talking. And I said, I don't have any miraculous words for you. I don't have – you are in the in the middle of a forest called grief. And I don't have a helicopter that can lift you out of it. But I can walk alongside you while you walk forward if you'll let me. And, and that's kind of all any of us can do. We, we, we can't wave a wand. We can't speak magic words. We can't deliver a Hallmark card and say, now you feel better. We just have to walk alongside each other. And we have to allow each other to walk alongside. And, and we'll see what's next. I love that. Thank you for sharing. It's so important. So with that, as I'm all a little bit teary-eyed here, because it just really hits home. It's just so important. And I know that these families are going through so much, not just the person, but the the families that are also grieving for their loved ones. It's it's really difficult. And it's just beautiful that you are, you know, doing this for these families and really providing this type of support. So, so what about the families? What about... Um, how do how do kids handle this? Like, what do families do when there's kids involved? I mean, yeah, I mean, we have we have so many stories. I mean, between us, we have five children, mm-hmm. and um, you know, so at the time that we met, each of these five children had lost a parent, and you know, and each of them grieved so differently, so differently. We had the silent, sort of strong, stoic types. We had the kids with who with clarity enough to speak out loud a lot, maybe just really emote, if you will. Um, we had kids that would come in the middle of the night and seek comfort and a hug and just to be held. And we had kids that could talk about it more freely. And so we we learned to adapt somewhat to our kids and their needs. But there was there was one thing I think that I have found over the years that maybe surprises people about 
children in grief. And I think that is as parents and as, you know, as we're going through our own grief, we think, how can I possibly tend to my children in this? We have a responsibility as adults to our kids to not only, you know, to point them to their faith and to provide them with, you know, that peace of mind to know you can laugh again if this day brings joy into your life. You get to feel however you feel. But the one thing that I tell people, and it maybe surprises them, is that sometimes we have to walk our children toward pain, which sounds so counterintuitive to how we as parents want to tend to our children. But we have to take them by the hand and walk into grief with them because so often families try to suppress it, to pretend mm -hmm. as though we're not grieving at all. And I I hear this a lot in my day-to-day -day work with New Day and with some of the families that we interact with that, well, we haven't told our children or we're not talking about it or we're not, you know, they're too young to understand or the answer to all of that is always no they, they do understand, even if you're not talking to them, they can feel it. There is the, the grief or the circumstances that are so, so stressful are, are revealing themselves even without words. So that creates such confusion for kids. So what do we do? We learn and we educate ourselves. There's so many resources about how do we talk to our children? How do we walk them toward a really difficult subject, whether that is mom or dad has cancer or Sometimes it's the child that has cancer or a sibling. Or now that we've lost someone, what does it mean to be, what does it mean to grieve? And it sounds so counterintuitive, like I said, to tell a four-year-old or an eight-year-old or a 12-year-old about these things and, and really deal with them together. But my gosh, there is such healing that is available to kids and to parents when we can talk out loud, when we can keep our loved ones present, when we can not live in fear of, of that kind of pain being an issue. So Michael, I know you probably have some thoughts on this too. Oh, yeah. I mean, um, I would say three things about kids in grief. The first is um, affirm how they feel. Um, give them permission to, if they want to laugh at a cartoon today, let them laugh. If they want to cry, affirm them being scared and uh, don't don't make them feel bad because they aren't feeling worse. And don't deny them their grief if it if it comes to them. So so affirm them and give them permission to feel however they feel today. The second thing is um, the the children sometimes when let's say a parent is going through something or a parent even dies. There are aunts, uncles, grandparents who also are grieving, not just the immediate family, but then the extended family. The children are not there to help other adults with their grief. Sometimes you will get people saying, I if the kids could just come over and that would make us feel better, that's not what the children are for. Um, if it serves the children to do that, great. But I remember Gene and I circled our wagons and said, everything that happens over the next 12 months must be in service to the children. Um, that doesn't mean they get indulged in anything they want, but you have to be really in tune to their, to their needs today. If they don't want to go visiting grandma and grandpa, then they're just going to stay home today. And then the last thing is with children, especially the younger ones, but anybody oh. under 18, grief 
they don't understand the full weight of the loss like adults do because they don't have that wide angle lens of life. <laughs> and so grief will tend to circle back around to children several times throughout their adolescence and then into young adulthood as they hit different milestones in life. And now mom or dad is not here for those moments. Grief will come back again. So it's not a linear process. You're a little bit better today than you were yesterday and then 5% better tomorrow. It's all over the place. And today, it's 18 years later that I lost Kathy. And I could be driving down the road today and have to pull over with grief and tears because it just is revisiting my heart. And, um, and so those are, those are things that I would definitely share with, with parents uh, who have children going through that. Thank you so much for sharing that. It's it, we have to feel into these emotions. We can't suppress it because it'll just and it may still come back, like you said. But that's how you work through it. You just have to feel through it. Yes. So yeah, thank you so much for sharing those tips. It's really helpful, I'm sure. So we're going to take our last break, and then on the other end of the break, or the other side of the break, we're going to talk a little bit more about. Uh, well, about their organization, about their book, what they're working on, and maybe flip it to a little bit more of a positive note, even though this is all positive in its own way. We know that. But we're going to talk about some good things, some joyous things, and things that are making the world a brighter place. So we'll be back right after this. Voice America is on LinkedIn. Connect with us today. If you're in leadership or a business owner, it's important to show your team that you care by providing healthy ways to help them stay happy, motivated, and to avoid burnout because their well-being directly impacts their productivity and ultimately profitability. Book Sana to speak or do a powerful interactive workshop to help your team shift from stress, chaos, and disconnection to handling the day's challenges with more ease, clarity, and direction. Her strengths are navigating through difficult situations and creating a positive environment so everyone can thrive. Find out more at SanaLife.com. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. Are you ready to awaken your true power? Become more confident and self-assured to take on life's challenges? As an empowerment coach, Sana offers an eight-week transformational program for those who are ready to step into their authenticity, stop people-pleasing, and live a life of more love, vibrancy, and inner peace. Discover your inner power, learn to love yourself, and experience more connection and fulfillment to thrive in all areas of your life. Book a complimentary call at www.saunalife.com to find out how. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Welcome back to Up Close and Empowered with Sana Johns. Have a question for Sana or a guest? 
Join us on the show at 888-346-9141. That's 888-346-9141. Now back to the show. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the show. So I'm talking to Michael and Gina Spain, and I wanted to ask you about, I know that your organization has grown from a very small organization to a very large organization, basically like a mom and a pop kitchen type organization to a million dollar nonprofit. Tell us a little bit about that. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, it's a, well, it hasn't been, hasn't been a speedy process. Let's just say that it's taken, you know, we are 17 years old as an organization. So, but we started out, yeah, we were, we were raising little kids and we were trying to do this really on the side. And it, it occurred to us just a few years into it that there was such an incredible need to help families who are going through this that we, um, Michael and I looked at each other and I said, I think I want to do this as a career, as a path. And, and you know, he was supporting me in that role. And obviously he's on, on our board and still works a lot with, like he was talking earlier with some of the men that we interact with. But yeah, we started off um, in the beginning, it was just a golf outing you know, which is a lot of nonprofits start that way, right? Somebody dies and all the guys gather around and they go, oh, let's do a golf outing. And it happened. And that was sort of the first, you know, $50,000 that we raised. And we didn't have a foundation that first year. So we gave it away. And then the second year, we we started New Day and began to really figure out what is our mission. And, it, you know, it's funny because in the beginning, the mission was that we were going to help kids who lost a parent to cancer. And we thought that was a good idea. But what we quickly realized, it was like almost instantly really, was that it was really the financial stress of cancer for people who are really going through it and who have young families and who are in that place where they're living paycheck to paycheck. They don't have a ton of money saved up. Um, and we're seeing people who are who lose their income and are just cannot do the, you know, do life. They can't afford to stay in their home. They can't afford to keep the lights on or food. So we went, okay, this is the thing. And so um, yeah, it, it started off with like one golf outing and that became galas and those sort of rubber chicken dinner things. And then the last few years, what's really helped to propel the mission. Um, obviously having a book and a movie helped that, right? Um, we had right. a platform through mm -hmm. those things and that was helpful, but really what it, it's been the last few years is we've had a celebrity lip sync battle, which has been a really fun event. Oh, I on. heard oh. about that. I actually had a couple listeners send a note to me that were familiar with your lip, lip sync competition. Yes. <laughs> that's so cool. It is a trip. It is the funnest event of the year in Metro Detroit. You can't find a better event. And, you know, we kind of took a spin off of what Jimmy Fallon does on NBC, right? He has, a, there's actually a show, a lip sync show, but Jimmy Fallon started it on his program. And Michael one day said, why don't we do something like this? Like, what you know, and I thought, that's crazy. I'm like, okay, let's do it. <laughs> let's go. Let's do it. And the thing is, you got to find people willing to get on stage and bear it all. You know what I mean? Just really put it all out there. And they're right. all these, all these celebrities, they know what they're doing. They're competing on behalf of one of the families that we're helping and they get to meet them oh. and they get to connect and know who they are and really who they're going on stage to, you know, make a fool out of themselves for. I mean, last year we had, you know, the Mark Hackle won the whole thing. I don't know if you know who Mark Hackle mm -hmm. yeah, is, but sure. the Macomb County executive. And he, you know, this guy did a red hot chili pepper song 
and took his shirt off and showed his <laughs> ripped abs at the age of 61. We were all in awe of Mark Happel. That's all I can say. That's <laughs> It was <funny>. memorable. <laughs> I bet, yeah. It was fun. So, oh, yeah, that's great. Into a, yeah, really big fundraiser for us every year. I can tell um, you, though, thinking back to the days of the kitchen table, when we were looking at each other saying, we really want to somehow serve you know, we were we were the recipients of so much generosity, so much kindness when we went through what we went through. And it still was crushing with grief and with pain. And and so we realized that there were so many families who did not have the same resources, the same community around them. And um, and now to, to, to fast forward to evenings like the, the, the lip sync battle where there's 600 people watching all of these acts on stage and lights and cameras and everything. It's just really remarkable. But what's really gratifying is is that it serves the work. And the work um, is, it's not just people who are impoverished. It's, it's really important to be clear about that. You're talking about um, average people who have jobs and have insurance even. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, and Gina can can spout the uh, the statistics way better than I. But number one cause for bankruptcy in America is a medical diagnosis, and chief among them is cancer. Um, uh, in terms of 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 additional dollars that every uh, family who's fighting cancer has to spend over and above insurance is something like twenty six hundred dollars a month. And so, it's remarkable how um, how difficult it is to just navigate to get from one side of cancer to the other. And as so many really smart people in the medical industry now have recognized, cancer patients need more than medicine to survive cancer. Yeah, for sure. And you guys are part of that for sure, right? What is your life like now versus... 17 years ago. I mean, how, what, what is the shift then? Where are you now and where do you see things going? Yeah. Well, 17 years ago, like I said, you know, we were raising little kids and we were in that season, which is such a fun season of life, but boy, is, is it exhausting? Right. And we were, we were working to help families through new day, but today where we are is, you know, we're 123 hospitals across the state of Michigan who are referring patients and families to us. And so what that means is, so just a couple of years ago, it was about 60. So we, we doubled that number. And, I, and, and we also were helping maybe 400 families a year, and now we're wow. close to 800 families a year. And the reason that those numbers multiplied is because we found a way to reach into small communities where there really aren't even social workers in many cases. Mm. Where these, fam- these, these are people who don't even know we exist. And we're trying to make strides to get into those communities, to reach into these little tiny hospitals and say, hey, hey, we're here. You have a resource available to you so that you don't have to suffer because you. what we found and what studies are showing us is that if you live in a rural community or an underserved community where resources are limited, you have a much higher mortality rate for the for your cancer diagnosis, right? I mean, everyone dies, but when it comes to this particular diagnosis, you're twice as likely to die than somebody who has all those resources. So people go, well, why is that? What, what does that matter if you don't have money? Well, if you don't have money, you're oftentimes skipping your appointments because you have to go to work. Yeah. 
you know, uh, or because I can't get childcare, you know, so some the basics. So what we're, what today, what it looks like for us is truly striving to build partnerships in the community, to reach out to these communities in the outstate markets. You know, it's really easy to reach out to the Corwells and the Ascensions and the McLarens and the Henry Fords and, and the big hospital systems right here in Metro Detroit. But when you go out further into the across the state of Michigan, it's taken a lot of time and effort to do that. The next step is corporate partnerships. How do we work with the DTE energies and with the consumers energies and the mortgage and the banking industry to help these families? Because what we're doing right now is we're just paying their bills, right? Mm -hmm. We're paying the creditors, we're paying DTE, we're, we're buying the groceries, we're making sure that they have these things. But I think that the solution really lies in strategic partnerships, having meaningful conversations with the creditors, with the corporations that we interact with every day who don't even really know that we're here and how much money really we're saving them in just in terms of the by, by paying the bills, right? But not only that, but saving them from having to chase down these families and continue to send the notices out every day. I mean, you know, so we're not only helping the patient and the family. I think it's important to note that there is a ripple effect throughout the community sure. from the that we do. And so people don't always recognize that. So definitely a ripple effect. That's so important. Yeah. So that's so how are you getting, how are you, how are you raising money right now then primarily? I mean, I know that you're, you're starting to reach out to more of these companies, but what has been your source of, of the, uh, you know, people that are contributing now? Yeah. The primary sources of revenue for our organization are individual donors, right? So people who give on a monthly basis, people who just simply donate, that's about a third of the revenue that we have. Another third of our revenue comes through our events. So we were just talking about the celebrity lip sync battle. That that event generates uh, between $150,000 and $200,000 a year. But we're hoping to actually see that number grow just for that one event because of the type of event that it is and the marketing benefits that it provides. So events are huge. There's still a golf outing to this day. There's local events. I mean, we have everything from hockey, pickleball, 5K, you know, all of those kinds of things as well. So events are a big piece of it. And then another sort of part, it has to do with uh, grant writing. And grant writing is an art form. <laughs> and there are many organizations who you can apply to, but the the rate of rejection on grants that you apply for is relatively high. I mean, they say if you get between 10 and 30% yes, a, a return rate that you're doing really well, like 30% return rate in any given year is really, really good. Um, now we try to find the grants that we are most qualified for. We want to align our mission, obviously, with the funders' goals and you know their focus areas. So but yeah, grant writing is an art form and we and one that has really helped to sustain us in particular these last few years. So um, yeah, grant writing, events, private mm -hmm. donations. And now, like I said, my big focus area in these next couple of years really is going to be corporate partnerships, strategic partnerships that will help us maybe operate a little bit differently than how we have been for the first 17 years. I think the next 17 years have to look like partnerships. And, right. and more, yes, more relationships with those type of leaders in the community. So, yeah, yeah. that sounds like a, a great way to go. I, I wish you the best with that. I mean, just getting the word out, just got to get the word out and put the energy out there, right? And obviously, our faith, prayer. 
So where can people find you? What is the best way for people to reach out to you to see what you're all about and maybe how they might be able to support the New Day Foundation? Yeah, we have a beautiful website. Um, it's it's always evolving. It's foundationforfamilies.org. And you can find everything you need to know about how a family can get help. Um, you can learn all about our awesome events. You can sort of understand a little bit more about what health disparities are and the things that we're trying to address in those rural communities. You can look at different ways to get involved, to volunteer, to um, host your own event, to become a partner with New Day. Uh, we actually have a, even a young professionals group called New Day Next. You can get it. There's so many ways to get involved with our organization. Um, it's we, we try to really make it possible to do like to keep our mind open to the possibilities. So so check us out online, foundationforfamilies.org and get to and know And you us. have the Facebook account as well. Oh, for you, have, you have a couple of Facebook accounts. You've got <laughs> LinkedIn, you've got all the accounts, but the, the website I think is a, a comprehensive place where people can go to find help, support, guidance, or even if they want to help your organization. Yes. So there's definitely um, all the, all the social platforms. You can find us anywhere there. And then there's, um, yeah. And then Michael has a website as well, which is a whole separate conversation. Yeah. In fact, Michael, tell us real quick what you're working on. You, when we were talking on the break about speak, uh, just tell our listeners what you're working on right now. Sure. I, I help organizations of, of all sizes create a, a stronger, more engaged culture within their workforce. Um I encourage generosity and offer real tools to inspire uh, new habits and uh, and organizations can create uh, the kind of workplace that their key employees are, are proud of and want to stay at because in this day and age, everybody is so stressed, they're job hopping, and it's commonplace for people every two or three years to go searching for something new. And that's costly to organizations of all, of all kinds, nonprofits included. So I, I uh, have a message called Live Generously, and um, it is basically a, a clarion call to those looking to reduce their stress and be more productive. And frankly, according to scientific research, live longer lives. And um, since our TEDx talk, uh, I'm being a little more intentional with that. And uh, yes. if anyone- We have to talk about that. We have to mention the TEDx. I'm glad you did. There's so yeah. much you guys have done. And also this is their book because I will have a, a visual version of the show on my YouTube. So The Color of Rain, and it was a Hallmark movie as well. And I'm sorry, Live Generously. You can you can look up Michael Spain on LinkedIn. And do you also have a website, Michael? Yes, michael-spain.com. Great, great. Yes, I understand both of you are speaking. You're uh, yep. You're doing speaking events, correct? Yes. Yes, right. indeed. Thank you so much for being on the show. I want to thank everybody for listening this week. It was a very special show to my heart. And, uh, you know, it's just so nice for people to be giving back and truly making a difference in the world. So thank you so much. Uh, join me next week. I have a very special guest, Davin Salvagno. 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 I have to get his name right. It's an Italian name. Do you know that last name, Gina? Because you're Italian. Sounds like <laughs> he's Salvagno. I don't know. Salvagno. Yeah. So he is a top speaker in the world, actually a global speaker, and he is the founder of Purpose Point. It's a pretty big inspirational leadership speaking organization. So he will be here next week on the show. Thank you, everybody, for listening. New Day Foundation. Thank you, Gina. Thank you, Michael. And have a great week. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. 
Thanks for tuning in to today's episode of Up Close and Empowered with Sana Johns. We hope that after listening today, it's inspired you to discover and cultivate your true inner power and consciously create your life. Tune in next week for another impactful episode. 